the Radio Stingray podcast is brought to you by our gold sponsor, McNally Jones Staff Lawyers, proudly supporting the MUA Sydney branch since 1977. Need assistance with employment, industrial or workers' compensation, or any other legal problem? Phone 9233 4744 or visit mcnally.com.au and get a real fighting lawyer on your side. tuned in to Radio Stingray. G'day everyone and welcome to Radio Stingray. Radio Stingray is the podcast of the Sydney branch of the Maritime Union of Australia, proudly recorded in Sydney on Aboriginal land. My name is Shane Reeside and I'm an organiser for the MUA. With me for this episode is two MUA officials, Sydney Branch Assistant Secretary Paul Garrett and National Women's Officer Michelle Myers. Paul and Michelle, welcome to Radio Stingray. How are you? Fantastic. Good to be back. Yeah, thanks for having me. As we're recording this episode, we're only days away from the 2019 federal election. I'm sure it won't come as a surprise to most of our listeners that most unions take government elections very seriously. Millions of dollars are being spent on campaigning and unions have been mobilising their members to get out there door knocking, holding forums, protests, calling swinging voters and, of course, voting. Perhaps to kick things off, um, maybe each of you could tell me a little bit about why these elections are personally important. So these elections are absolutely vitally important, obviously because of our maritime industry. Uh, under the Abbott Turnbull Morrison government, we have seen an absolute decimation of the shipping industry. We're down to 14 vessels that are Australian crewed and Australian flagged. Uh, we need to save that industry. We need to make sure that we're protecting our workers' rights in, across our industry. And as a whole of union approach, the, the Construction, Forestry, Maritime, Mining and Energy Union, uh, we've got to abolish things like the ABCC um, and, you know, that, that while construction workers are getting fined for just trying to ensure that their workplaces are safe, we've got a whole bunch of reasons why we need a new government and uh, that's why it's super important and it's, it's very personal to me. Um, I'm the vice president of the ALP. I'm an, a proud ALP member and I, I you know, think it's, it's one of the most crucial elections we'll see in our lifetime. Look, I can't do much more to add to what Michelle said, but I think in reality the notion of the fair go has been lost once upon a time, you could have had a job that gave you dignity. You could afford to uh, look after your family on that job. Um, you didn't have people working two jobs and three jobs, spending a fortune in childcare with mortgages and the cost of living going through the roof and struggling and really struggling, whilst at the other end, capital's just got bigger and bigger. You've got a situation these days where CEOs are on over 400 times what workers are earning. You've got an industrial umpire that's a myth. You've got workers who are doing their best. You've got nurses standing up for ratios something that should have been given a long time ago. We're talking about different industries fighting just for an opportunity. The Maritime Union's fighting for a shipping industry. We're an island continent, the fourth largest shipping task in the world, and we've got to make this an election issue. It's a no-brainer. So this is just one of the reasons of many why I and so many other MUA members and trade unionists and workers are going to be out on Saturday fighting to change this government. So obviously working-class people and their unions want a lot of things that a sitting government can probably deliver if they wanted to. Nurse patient ratios, safe rates for truck drivers, wages for childcare workers, action on climate change, etc. But given this is an MUA podcast, perhaps Michelle, could you tell us a bit about the big ticket items that MUA are trying to deliver out of this election? 
Look, obviously the most important one for us is um, to save Australian shipping. We have been fighting very, very hard to save Australian shipping. During the uh, last three Prime Ministers, we have seen two attacks on the current shipping legislation, which we've been able to block through working with the Senate. But, you know, like they're not going to do anything. The current government is not going to do anything to save our industry. We know that. It's an ideological thing with them. They just want that, you know, us out. Um, They want the cheapest, lowest common denominator in shipping, and they just do not care for our industry. So, you know, this is a big ticket item. We have got commitments from the ALP for Australian shipping, some crucial, crucial things such as a strategic fleet, uh, re-implementing the Maritime Workforce Development Forum, which was cancelled under under the Liberal government, and, you know, and also fuel security, ensuring our nation's fuel security. So uh, we have been working very, very hard on that. Their policies were announced in February this year, so they're, they're sweet to go. We've got a lot of work behind the scenes, getting ready for um, the, the possible Labor government, which would be amazing come Saturday, and then we're, um, we're ready to go um, with you know, the changes to policy and what we need to save our industry. So just to clarify that a little bit, if, if the ALP has control of the Australian state, then they can use those powers to legislate so that ships sailing the Australian coasts must have a certain proportion of MUA seafarers on them. Is that basically what the ALP is committed to doing? No, they've, co- they've committed to implementing a strategic fleet, which will include uh, tankers, um, they've even said container ships in that. Uh, now, a strategic fleet is a fleet that you can call on in times of crisis or national crisis. Uh, we don't have the ability to, I mean, during the World Wars, we had, you know, we were the fourth arm of defence. We supplied, you know, food, uh, supplies. We carried the cargo that that, um, that supported our, our, our defence forces. And, um, you know, we don't have a fleet that we could do that with now. We did work in Timor. We did a whole bunch of stuff as a merchant navy, but we don't have a merchant navy. So a strategic fleet would be vessels that can be called upon by the government if we need them. So when I was talking about fuel security before, we've only got 21 days of fuel supply in our country. And some of that 21 days they're counting is actually on flag of convenience ships on its way to our country. So it's not even here yet. So if something happens in the South China Sea or, you know, there's conflict or there's a credit crush or whatever, they just take those ships back. That fuel doesn't come here anymore. And we have less than 21 days, and that's just not the fuel in your car. That's like manufacturing pharmaceuticals. That's running hospitals. That's running everything that makes this country go. It's just, you know, it's absurd that we don't have a fuel security policy. That's why we need a strategic fleet with tankers. So how many ships are we talking? Like, are we talking... So so the the baseline that they've actually announced is a minimum of 12, um, which is a great start. But, I mean, that, that of course, once that's proven to be successful, then we, we expand on that. I mean, 12, 12 ships, you know, for a start would double, almost double what we've got Australian crewed and Australian men now. So that's incredible. And for those people out there listening who aren't familiar with the industry, around about how many seafarers would get work on 12 ships, would we estimate? Uh, it depends on the crewing. Paul, you might have a better number than me. Ballpark. Well, based on the numbers there, and you're looking at a crew of 17 per ship and two swings, you're looking over 400 plus reliefs, anywhere up to 450. Of course, there's uh, numbers of mates and engineers there as well that come through that have to be calculated in the total, but there's an easy move there for 450-odd jobs. So for the overall economy, not necessarily a big deal in terms of jobs, but for the maritime industry and for seafarers, that effectively doubles the amount of work or close to doubles the amount of work that's available in the offshore industry. Well, it's a massive deal because what it does is it starts it off, but when you have a look at the strategic fleet, it's the only the start. You can keep moving from there. 
I mean, you have a look at the American system where they've got the Jones Act and they've also supported by the Military Sealift Command. That's people working in um, what is essentially naval reserves, but they're commercial seafarers, they're merchant navy seafarers, they're union seafarers, and they're on ships that can be called up to the strategic fleet at a time that's needed if there's ever an escalation in domestic or international situations that require that support. But over the seas, you see hundreds of ships where you have merchant navy workers on ships that are sponsored and supported by the government, so they're available if needed. So forgive me if I've if I've got this wrong, but effectively through the work that the MUA has done over the last while, we've uh, managed to secure a commitment from the parliamentary LP that should they win government, they'll deliver 12 ships, um, which uh, we hope will be a precedent that allows us to demonstrate that that works very well and that that's something we would like to see expanded. Is that a fair characterisation of where we're at? Absolutely. But just with one thing where we say if the ALP wins government, hopefully they do, hopefully there is a change on Saturday um, and there is a change in government there, but it's not going to win both houses of parliament and that's something that's been lost on a lot of people. Winning government doesn't mean winning the Senate either and there's going to be a crossbench that has to be negotiated with. The numbers aren't that strong. Last time the Australian public saw a government win both the lower house and upper house, was back in the 2004 when that sellout Mark Latham was the leader of the ALP. And we lost so badly that the Liberals had an opportunity not only to put work choices through the lower house but through the upper house as well. Now, it's going to be a long time again before you see a government of any persuasion get both houses. So part of that work too has been talking to the crossbenchers. That's why the Jobs Embassy has been on the lawn out of Canberra for the last three years or so. That's why a lot of work's been done and Michelle's been part of the team, as have many other officials, and more importantly, rank-and-file members that have talked to a number of the crossbenchers, um, current ones, former ones, they seem to turn over a fair bit, to make sure they're buying in. And here's a scary thing. There's even a few Liberals out there that are supporting this who say that there's an absolute deficiency in the Australian Merchant Navy. There needs to be more done and there needs to be a strategic fleet. So a lot of work's been done by the MUA to go out and get uh, support across uh, different politicians to make sure that they come in and support this. But there's no doubt Shorten's come out. Um, he's made a statement. He's made a statement very clearly on having a strategic fleet as well as a strategic fuel reserve, which is also very important to the Australian economy. Okay, so the MUA is pushing for seafarers. I'd like for a moment now to just ask about the rest of the unions and some of the broader questions that the unions are trying to tackle through this election. In a speech on the 21st of March 2018 at the National Press Club, ACTU Secretary Sally McManus laid out a six-point blueprint to give Australia a pay rise. This blueprint was a demand for an open-ended transformation of industrial law to change the conditions under which workers can organise into unions, limit casualisation and outsourcing, allow for workers where relevant to collectively struggle for an industry wage rather than a collective agreement that just sets out conditions for a single business, permanent migration to be privileged over temporary migration, to refuse free trade agreements and ensure equal pay for women, raising the minimum wage and to make bargaining rules fairer, which is presumably a way of implying right to strike without saying right to strike. Twelve months on from this speech, Michelle, where are we at? How is the ACTU's plan to achieve these broad kind of transformations coming along? I understand that we've got a lot of commitments um, from um, the ALP to uh, commit to some of the changes to the rules um, asks. I don't have that full list in front of me. I've been concentrating on um, our shipping campaign and our, our campaign around the country. So I'm sorry if I don't know where that's at. Um, I'm sure it's online somewhere. But um, they have committed to, you know, the equal pay for women is a, is a great commitment. Obviously, you know, ScoMo came out on the weekend and said, oh, he cares about women. And it's a little bit late, four days before an election, to say that you actually care when you're standing on a stage with 
just your family. Lucky you've got women in your family, Scott, because that's about the only ones that you can get to stand on stage with him. But, you know, the ALP is committed to a whole bunch of that stuff, equal pay for women, the stuff for um, uh, domestic violence, you know, that all that stuff is so important. Plus, you know, the uh, changing pay rates and whatever for early childhood um, carers, all this stuff is like really important stuff for our society, for our community. Um, and I understand that they've committed to a lot of the asks for the Change the Rules campaign. Can I just follow on from that? And that presentation and uh, delivery that was given by Sally McManus was right then as it is now. Has it moved on? No. But the reason being is because the Morrison government or the Turnbull government, who was, e- was ever in charge at the time, haven't moved on it. I mean, I've had opportunity through the MUA Sydney branch to work with some great people along with yourself, Shane, at uh, Manly Fast Ferries and My Fast Ferries, a subsidiary of NRMA. Um, that supposedly great pook of uh, motorist in uh, New South Wales. They go back and deliberately cause workers um, to accept inferior standards because they leave these workers casuals. And when they leave them casual, they pay them below the award. And if it wasn't for a union intervening recently, they wouldn't have got a $10 an hour lift. And why can they get away with it? Because the system's skewed against workers. People talk about the Fair Work Commission. That's a toothless tiger on a good day. But imagine being a backpacker working on Sydney Harbour on some of these charter boats, like Captain Cook Cruises, another company that's absolutely abused the system. If you're underpaid below the award, you can't go to the Fair Work Commission for relief because the Fair Work Act doesn't allow it. You've got to go to the Federal Circuit Court. And if you're going to go to the Federal Circuit Court to go and chase the penalty rates that haven't been paid or the other money that hasn't been paid, you're looking at tens of thousands of dollars to actually get in there and run the case because of the legal fees and... You have to wait a period of time. To get a matter heard in the Federal Circuit Court, you're looking at 18 months. Now, if I'm a backpacker out here on a six-month or a 12-month work visa, I'm not going to chase that money down. I'm not going to have the time, the legal resources or the interest. I'm just going to be happy to take that money. And that's where it's skewed against workers. So where Sally and the ACTU is talking about ending wage theft and improving awards, this is some of the things she's talking about. This is just a small example. I mean, free and fair bargaining. Let's talk about free and fair bargaining. Let's have an opportunity for free and fair bargaining. That includes the right to strike. That includes the right of workers to withdraw labour. Ever tried to go on strike? Ever gone through the nonsense of seeing workers and their union having to prepare witness statements and asking for permission from the Fair Work Commission, then asking for a ballot, then dealing with the Australian Electoral Commission and all the obstacles they put in front of workers when trying to ballot for their rights to take industrial action? To take industrial action, you're looking at four weeks round turn just to work out whether you're allowed to do it. And then when you do it, then you've got to give three working days notice. Now, we work in an industry that operates 365 days a year, the maritime industry, but heaven forbid we give notice on a Saturday, Sunday or public holiday. Heaven forbid we do that. But we're expected to do that Monday to Friday because that's gentlemen's hours. You know, we can't do anything outside. The system is so skewed against workers and restoring penalty rates. When did a politician ever struggle on $200,000 a year? plus allowances, plus drivers, plus comcar, plus airfares and everything else that's been there. We're talking about workers that live from paycheck to paycheck. We're talking about workers that are working two and three jobs just to make ends meet. That still goes on today and there's more work that needs to be done. And as part of what the ACTU put forward last year, this is an opportunity now to turn this around and start getting some real change for working people. Maritime Super is the largest industry fund for the maritime industry. With a proud history as one of Australia's longest-running super funds, Maritime Super delivers innovative super and retirement benefits, helping its members make the right decisions to secure their financial freedom into the future. To learn more, email www.maritimesuper.com.au. 
www.ai.com.au. So broadly speaking, we don't have the details in front of us, but the unions through the ACTU and then the individual unions have each uh, sought to secure commitments from the Labor Party prior to the election about specific sectional interests, such as seafarers for the MUA, uh, wages for childcare workers or safe rates for truck drivers, etc., as well as trying to secure some broader commitments from the ACTU that make the conditions under which unions and working class people struggle better and more conducive for the growth of unions and securing strong outcomes. But in order for the Labor Party to be able to deliver any of those things, they need to win the election. So the unions have been campaigning in marginal seats. And for those who aren't familiar with the lingo, a marginal seat is basically a seat where the incumbent doesn't have a very large majority uh, of the vote, or they didn't secure a large majority at the last election. And so it's been identified as a seat where the Labor Party thinks that they can win. Michelle, what does that actually look like? What do unions actually do in these seats when they're campaigning? Oh, well, what that looks like is uh, a massive campaign to try and uh, try and change things. The um, So there's marginal seats all around the country, obviously. We've identified the ones that are, are possible to win. Uh, to win, you know, to change these rules and to change and make things better for everybody, we need to change the government. And to do that, we need to win over these marginal seats and retain the seats that we currently hold. So the MUA and the CFMEU have been working hard in a bunch of marginal seats around the country. And what that looks like is, you know, TV, radio, newspaper advertising, talking to the community about our issues and about explaining to them why we need to change the government to, to you know, save our industry. Um, it resonates all around the country. Obviously, shipping, you know, resonates. Once people understand why we need Australian shipping, you know, it's the invisible workforce. It always has been. And people don't know where their stuff comes from, but it comes on ships. And we want Australian seafarers to bring that stuff. Um, so once you start to explain that to the community, everyone agrees with you. It's like it's a no-brainer. Um, and they, they're shocked and they don't understand why we don't have Australian seafarers on Australian ships. So when I was doing the marginal seats campaign in uh, North Queensland, we did polling before we went into the electorate and we asked the locals, we asked the voters and said to them, you know, do you think Australia should have its own merchant fleet? And do you think that uh, we should have ships going around our country that have got Australian crews and Australian flags on them? And people agreed and the polling was enormous. Like we're talking 82%, 83% of people agreed with us. And, and then it's broken down into their voting intention. And these were some of these were Liberal voters, One Nation voters, all sorts of voters were saying that they agree with our campaign. So when we do campaigns like this, it's, it's, it's important because it's telling our story to the community and telling them why we need to change a government to fix things for us. So effectively, you're trying to find lots of different ways to be able to directly speak to voters in those particular electorates and get them to change their vote on the basis of the issues that we're trying to convince them of. Is that a fair characterization of it? Absolutely. And there's always, uh, there's research done into these electorates. There's, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that happen and all political parties do it. Everyone does it. Um, to find out what the issues matter to the locals. And when you go around North Queensland and when you come to Tasmania, um, which, which is where I am now, I'm in Devonport, I'm in the seat of Braddon, and the things that people care about are secure jobs, health, uh, the environment, you know, all of these things. And once you know that, you go and tell your story that's related to that to the people and, and explain to them why we need to change our government. So, Paul, you touched on this just before, but a uh, massive effort goes into these uh, marginal seat campaigns uh, that of the kind that Michelle's just describing, huge amounts of resources and energy and union members campaigning, etc. But even if the ALP is to win a majority in the House, as you said, uh, they 
as a party still face substantial challenges to being able to implement a particular agenda, whether that be on shipping or whether that be on industry bargaining, on any of the number of things that Sally put up in her vision for uh, for Australia's pay rise. Once the election's over and you've got an incumbent government, how do the unions then continue to pursue those particular outcomes if the party's not in a situation to deliver it while in government? I think the trade union movement won't out of the Kevin 07 election, and everyone recalls Kevin 07 but never speaks of the Your Rights at Work campaign. It was twofolded to get that change in 2007, but in some respects it's argued that the union movement may have taken the foot off the throat of the ALP and allowed them to do what they wanted to do, and Kevin Rudd demonstrated... Um, some absolute weaknesses there at the time. He's not reflective of everyone in the party, um, but certainly didn't show the leadership. And I think the one lesson that coming up from the trade union movement is it's continuous campaigning. Every day in the industry is a struggle. You can't just give up because you've had a win. You've got to continue with that. And one of the things that the MUA's learnt, uh, I can, I've seen from our visits to Canberra and some of the work that's been done in the background, is let's not just win to change government, but let's win to write policy. Let's go and research the policy. Let's go and understand what's happening internationally. Let's not leave it to bureaucrats and young Labor kiddies or people that have just come through university to then write the legislation that's going part. Let's be part of it. Let's put workers in the front line. If there's a Senate inquiry, make a submission. If there's a poly who's there, give them an education. Take them overseas and show them the difference. And I think one of the things that the MUA's uh, picked up and doing extremely well is that continuous campaigning. Winning government's only the start. Then it's implementing legislation. And we've seen last time the shipping legislation took too long. We certainly had people in Canberra who were supporting the MUA agenda, but it was taking too long to get through. And then what happened was when finally the second election come round, um, there was a minority government. And by the time that 2013 come round, they're out on their arse. That's where this time the work's been done to right. And if the work's done to have a look at the secure, uh, security and fuel, the strategic shipping, we've been there every step of the way. It's no different to the nurses having input and showing the ALP where to move on uh, ratios, where the transport workers were on safe rates. And all the different industries coming in saying, we need to do more than just hope that you're going to do the best for us. We're going to show you what the best looks like. We need you to implement it. And we're not just going to talk to you. We're going to talk to everyone. So all the crossbenchers, anyone who's down there, if you put your hand up to be elected representative, you don't represent the party, you represent the people. So if you're going to go down there, we're going to be calling on you to make a change, and if not, we're going to call you out. And that's happened on several occasions. And you see where Michelle's been going around the country with rank-and-file members, um, standing people up who don't support, where they've been calling them out, taking seafarers to Liberal press conferences and pulling them on because they haven't supported Australian shipping, they haven't supported Australian workers. And... The campaign doesn't end on the 18th of May, it only begins, and we need to make sure that that agenda's delivered. So that's interesting that you raised the Kevin 07 election. So my understanding is that following that election, the Labor Party uh, then got some lawyers to write a draft of the Fair Work Act, and that's the Fair Work Act that was then delivered to Parliament, and that's what we then ended up with. The reason why I raised that is because if the dynamic of an election campaign when the ALP is in opposition is one where we demonstrate that we're able to wield power and we're able to wield power through our members and their willingness to actually mobilise collectively. And then off the back of our demonstration of having real power in getting governments elected, uh, we demand that those sitting members or the party as a whole respond to our agenda and what we want. Now, if the party wants incumbent doesn't actually do that, 
what leverage do we actually have? Like if, if they're already in government, we're not going to campaign for the Liberals. Where does our power come from to then compel that government? Because that government is facing substantial opposition, as we know, from a crossbench, from the right, et cetera, et cetera. Like how do we actually continue to execute that? We'll cross that bridge when we come to it, but have a look at that. We had Martin Ferguson in there as well. I mean, the MUA is on the record for calling out the frauds when we, when we spot them, and Martin Ferguson's one of them. I was there at the conference in... Melbourne in 2015, where the resolution was put to the floor to expel him out the party for being a sellout trader. That'll be dealt with in due course. We'll deal with that when that comes to. Um, but before we get to that position of what happens if they don't uh, uh, deliver, I think the thing is we go and make sure they deliver in the first instance and we go and show them leadership. Yeah, sure, the Fair Work Act was a stuff-up. I think everyone's in agreement on that. Um, it was put in place to uh, deliver certain outcomes. The wrong people drafted it. And what's also forgotten too, and this is part of the narrative that doesn't get out there, is that there were some sellouts deals done with a crossbench um, to try and deliver an outcome. It's not good enough. And that's why uh, a lot of work's been done to write the next set of legislation and the ACTU's putting a lot of time in on it and we're putting a lot of time in on it. But we'll cross the bridge about dealing with what happens if it happens. In the meantime, let's keep on the positive and get the agenda moving. Can I, can I come in on that? I just want to say that, you know, the only way that we're going to make sure that, you know, what, ha- what we're asking for happens is to be involved in it. Now, we've, we've, we know that when we, we're members of a party, we can go to a meeting, we put forward our resolutions and make sure that our policy stuff is front and centre with the party all the time. That's why I ran for vice president, well, president of, the, of the party. So myself and two other members of the CFMEU sit on the national executive of the ALP. And the reason we do that is to make sure that our issues are always front and centre at the highest level of governing of the ALP. Now, this is important. Now, when it's, you know, members of our union, our members of the ALP, they go to their local branch meeting, whether it's King's Cross and Maroubra or wherever, and they talk about their issues and they put things forward to the party. This is like, this is what, this is what it's about. This is grassroots, um, you know. Uh, democracy is democracy in our party and so we need to be in those meetings in those doors all the time you know be a part of it um and it's not just you know getting out here on on polling day and election day and making sure we get elected it's going to your branch meetings afterwards and and making sure that things get implemented so what about if um and you raised the crossbench there what about if if the government was to actually push, say a Labor government in the lower house was to push for very pro-worker policies and they were to try and put up a bill that was the right bill that contained in it the conditions that working class people need and deserve, knowing that it's going to get knocked back by the crossbench, knowing that it's going to potentially provoke an anti-Labor backlash. As a movement, as a, as a union movement, as, as working class people who are members of our unions, do we then accept that we can't push the party to put up those policies in government? Like, how do we how no. do we relate to it at that stage? Absolutely not. We do exactly what we've done the whole time when we've been in opposition as we go and work with those crossbenchers. We talk to them, we explain our issues, and we lobby them. I mean, we, we walk the halls of Parliament House, we did the Jobs Embassy. All of the unions are now really very good at that stuff. I mean, it doesn't matter what the crossbench looks like. It doesn't matter what the Senate looks like. We're still able to work with some of these people. I mean, over the last... Um, three prime ministers, we have been through, you know, we've had to block shipping legislation twice in the Senate. We've had to meet with some people that we never wanted to meet with. But and have done successfully, done that, right? Yeah, and we have done successfully because once they understood it in their, in their language uh, or what they believe in or their angle of politics, they also get it that save, you know, saving Australian shipping is important. So we have had to do those, um, have those conversations, do those meetings. Um, you know, Paddy, 
Patty, Will, Chris, everybody, uh, Ian, Bray, all of us have been down there. Paul's been down there. We've walked the halls um, because, you know, that's that's what the government looks like and it could look another shambles like that in the Senate. But we will still go and work with them because our jobs are the most important thing. Our industry is the most important thing to us and we will go and do that to to ensure that we um we can still, you know, have a workable parliament. And I think we will. But on that too, and I think, you know, there is the nuclear option if the Senate plays up, and that's a double dissolution. That's happened before in Australia's history, and that can be dealt with. But have a look at the work that has been done. And again, Michelle's been part of this with a team that's been named and so many others. The Coastal Trading Revitalising Australian Shipping Amendment Bill of 2017 that went through. This legislation that was put up by the Turnbull government was so bad, was so bad... It didn't even get to the second reading stage. It was knocked over at the first reading stage. Usually all legislation goes from first reading into second reading where it gets debated and dealt with through amendments and committee. This was so bad it got knocked over. And why did it get knocked over? Because we walked the halls, we talked to people and went and said how bad it is and demonstrated the failures in it. Now, this legislation have got through could have had unbelievable consequences on the Australian uh, shipping industry. But because of the MUA intervention, going talking to people and explaining the stupidity and the hostilities against seafarers, that got knocked over. So, again, it's not hard, it's just hard work. It's just about going out and doing what needs to be done and putting the time in and having the discussion and educating and bringing people along. And this is just a a perfect example of what can happen in the parliamentary scheme when the MUA gets on. Nothing's going to replace the industrial side. That's always the, the best place for workers. But when the hard work's done down in Canberra, this is some of the achievements that's been had. At Unity Bank, we are 100% committed to maritime workers. We pride ourselves on delivering better all-round value to our members and their families. Unity Bank, proud supporter of the Maritime Union of Australia and sponsor of this podcast. So if you put all these questions aside for a second and imagine that uh, the unions broadly have some staggering success in getting our pro-working class agenda implemented and the right to strike is legislated, that industry bargaining is legislated and the full raft of the ACTU's vision for improving the conditions under which unions organise and win paying conditions for their members is secured. And as a result, uh, we see a huge increase in wages. We see a huge increase in the redistribution uh, from the top end of town to ordinary people. And that actually has the unintended consequence of capital flight out of Australia and also potentially driving up inflation. Now, I know that it sounds a little bit like a fairy tale right now because that's not the situation we're likely to find ourselves in in the immediate term. But this was a similar situation that we found ourselves in in the late 1970s, where something very similar was happening, where union militancy was at a high point, where wages and conditions were being vastly improved through militant industrial struggle at the time, but those wins were being undermined by inflation. Like, this is a real thing. Inflation goes up, then the value of our wages go down. So it's not, uh, you know, it's within living memory that this dynamic has actually played out in Australia. If over the next two terms of governments we're successful in finding ourselves in that same situation, how do we cope with that as a movement? Well, first things first, we'd be going on the Barocca because um, there'd be a serious hangover taking place. Because <laughs> we've nearly we've we've nearly seen the industrial revolution in Australia. Yeah, I mean, you're coming to a point where that's not a bad problem to deal with. The truth is, if we've got a position where uh, capital's been redistributed. You haven't got a situation where CEOs are on, you know, tens of millions of dollars, where Alan Joyce's aren't pulling in twelve million dollars while workers are taking pay freezes. If that happens, if we're in a position where my daughters can afford 
to buy a home in 15 odd years when there were 20 years when they go to work and they can actually live somewhere close to the city and not have to pay exorbitant prices, then I think we've got a good problem to have. But that's also something for the next generation to deal with as well. We've got to have a look at our generation and our time now. And what I know is this, and I mentioned my girls, and I suppose before the, uh, the show you asked a question, why do we do what we do? For me, it's simple. I was very fortunate. My father had a union job. He worked on the lines boats. Um, when mum got pregnant, they had opportunity because of a union job to raise me and my sister. Mum stayed at home. Um, and looked after us. Dad could support uh, the family. Dad did a bit of overtime when it was available and paid a mortgage off. And we lived in Leichhardt. I was very fortunate to live close to the city. Those days are gone. Um, you can't be in a position now where you can have one job and live in Leichhardt or somewhere in the inner west. People are moving out west. People can't afford to live um, there. People have to go far out and travel and commute just to make ends meet. And people are working two jobs. And people are spending a fortune on childcare. And childcare is not cheap. We've got a number of dynamics that need to play out. And when all that happened in the early 1980s too, mum and dad used to complain about the high interest rates and the damage that that caused as well, but they survived. We had some hard times, but they survived. The one thing I do know, there was jobs there for people who wanted to work, and if you wanted to work, there was dignity and a quality of life. And I get scared about this. My daughters are eight and three. Where are they going to work when they leave the workforce? What jobs are going to be there? What opportunities are going to be there? In this great Olympic city of Sydney, where are they going to live? Are they going to have to move out rural? If they move out rural, how are they going to get into Sydney? Because the roads are a mess. There's no high-speed train. There's a lot of challenges. Your question's fair, Shane, but there's a lot of challenges we need to get, it, uh, get through and deal with first. And I've got to make sure that not only this generation, but the next generation has the right to work, the right to live, and they get to do so with dignity. People talk about automation. There's a serious problem with automation. Robots don't pay taxes. And what we're seeing, a number of companies don't pay taxes either. So who's paying for it? Where are these opportunities going to come from? Talk about the high inflation question, no doubt, but there's a time for that to be spoken about. First and foremost, we've got to look after ourselves and make sure our generation and the next have that dignity, and when you retire, that you retire with dignity too. We don't want to, be to have a situation where, like you see in America, people don't have access to healthcare. You should have access to healthcare by one qualifying uh, position. I'm a citizen of humanity. I'm entitled to healthcare. And companies should pay taxes. And we would talk about automation, their job's gone. That's not money coming back in to support the social services. So I get your point, but that's probably a couple of uh, chapters away before we uh, conclude that book. One more question just on the union strategy. From the union's perspective, and by the unions I mean the broad, or the ACTU, all its affiliates and all the unionists that are involved in this election strategy, there is a lot of very, very skilled, passionate organisers and campaigners who have dedicated countless hours to this election and to other elections. And all of those organisers are also familiar with what it takes to organise workers into unions and to have those industrial wins. It's very, very difficult. And uh, and across our movement, actually, we've got quite an incredible cohort of campaigners and organisers that are capable of delivering industrial wins. Now, we've seen our movement decline in numbers over the last 30 years, dramatically, as a proportion of the workforce. When all of our campaigners and organisers are dedicating those hours to actually building election campaigns... Is it true that they're not dedicating that time to building union in the industries that they're organising and having industrial wings? Are those two things in competition? Is it true that if you're spending your time, the skilled organisers and campaigners' time to try and get electoral outcomes, that comes at the potential cost of winning industrial outcomes? Well, I'll go first. I once heard the great Michelle Myers give a speech somewhere. <laughs> and in somewhere in the speech, she said, uh, the best leaders create new great leaders themselves. So... Being tied up in one area is one thing, 
But I remember the speech, somewhere you gave admission, you did say that the best of leaders in society create new leaders who create new opportunities. And part of being the trade union movement is developing people and bringing people along and giving them the opportunity to rise and shine. You don't do things alone. We're a community and we work together and we bring the best out in people and we create new leaders in the workplace and new people leaders on the job who can create these opportunities and deliver for the next generation and move on. But I'll hand over to you, Mish, it was your speech. No, I think you're right. Um, and what I did say was um, leaders create other leaders, not followers. And it's true. I mean, we need to bring people along. But I think actually what's happening with this Change the Rules uh, campaign is it is it is increasing union memberships during during this. You know, part of it, if you go to the Change the is, Rules Is website, that actually true, Michelle? Do we know that the yeah. membership's gone up through the course of this campaign? Yeah, I believe that it has, absolutely. So there's an online join, join um, system now through the ACTU and that links you straight back to your union. So if your union doesn't have an online join form, then that if somebody tries to join a union through them, they send it straight back through to our organisers. So, yeah, I do believe that a lot of um, union members have signed up during this campaign um, because, you know, they understand and they get the issues and they get what we're talking about. Now, those Change the Rules organisers are talking union. Um, they're not just talking, you know, changing a government and, and they're, you know, on the doors and on the phones and all that sort of thing. They're here, these people are hearing from union people um, and I do believe that is increasing membership. But um, I think um, the most important thing um, that we need to do from this is to make sure that we don't, drop the ball afterwards, um, and I know that we're not going to. Uh, we've got a new different leadership at the ACTU. This campaign will continue on, and it will turn into a building union um, campaign. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's doing both things. So given all this is the landscape we're in, I mean, I feel like we could talk about this for hours. It's something that obviously uh, very, very important strategic and tactical questions. So I think we're going to have to let our listeners go very shortly. Given that this is where we're at, what do each of you hope that union members are going to do between now and the election and on election day? We need boots on the street. When I mean, we've got a couple of days left for this for this election, we've got a couple of days left to save our industry. We've got a couple of days left to change a government. We've got a chance, once in a lifetime opportunity to make something um, extraordinary happen in this country. And the only way we're going to do that is to have people on pre-polling booths and on polling day handing out for either change the rules or for the ALP. And they've also got to go and vote. Everybody's got to be very, very careful with their vote and make sure that they do the right thing. Now, somebody said to me the other day, the Liberals won't, the Greens can't, the ALP will. And that's correct as far as shipping's going. I mean, if you're going to form a government, the ALP will be able to save our Australian shipping. The Liberals won't and the others won't form government. So, I mean, um, some of the people I've spoken to on the phones that said, oh, we're going to vote Pauline Hanson's One Nation, they're not going to form government. They're not going to change things in this country. So we need to be very, very serious and very careful about what we do at the polling booth. But more than anything, we need to be out there helping candidates in these marginal seats get elected. We've got a CFMU member running in banks. We've got a CFMU member running in the seat of Capricornia in Queensland. We've got our people running for election that our voices that would be in parliament so we need to make this happen and the only way we're going to make that happen is for everybody to do something this weekend and leading up to this weekend well, i don't know there's a thousand ways to answer that question i suppose for me the first things first for a lot of people is pull your head out of your ass and firstly that goes to the clive palmer um supporters anyone who is working in the union job who thinks clive palmer's the answer seriously have a look at the history of that bloke this is someone who took $70 million off workers there, someone who boasts to have $4,000 million in some interview the other day, but took $70 million off workers and didn't pay for it. That's not the answer. Get out and do something. Follow what's going on. For those who say I'm not interested in politics or I'm not political, then what are you doing in a union job? 
because everything we do, every day is political. I was blessed. I had some of the best teachers. I had a bloke by the name of Don Henderson, a legendary leader um, of the Fireman and Deckhands Union. Before I started as an official, grabbed me and said, son, one thing I want to tell you. Every day in the maritime industry is a struggle. As soon as you understand that, the easier it'll be for you. 16 years later, I know what he means. Every day there's a fight. Every day there's a boss that wants to take a condition office. Every day there's an issue that's got to be taken on. Every day there's a safety issue. And every day union members stand up and deliver. It's uh, politics time. There's election on Saturday. Stand up and deliver. When I say pull your head out of your ass, means get out and vote and vote properly. Don't vote for uh, Pauline Hanson because she's got all the answers because she doesn't. Or Clive Palmer because he's a, you know, got great TV ads because they're absolutely woeful, some of those ads. Have a look at the policy. Have a look at the direction. People think the Liberal Party's got the answer. There's union members out there that support the Liberal Party too. Please. People talk about the Labor Party plan about negative gearing. Let's have a look at it. You can't sleep under seven roofs at once. That's been done to stop certain groups buying up all the property so everyone else can have an opportunity to it. But as Michelle says, you've got to get out and do something. There's opportunities to letterbox. There's opportunities to hand out. There's opportunities to go out and support. There's opportunities to go out and vote. Do one of them, do all of them, but do something. And particularly with voting, make sure their votes are exercised the right way. Vote for someone who's socially progressive. I understand not everyone's going to support the ALP, and that's okay. But when you go and mark the boxes, have a look at the boxes you're marking. And if you're putting Liberals in front of others, then you need to have a good, long, hard think about what's going on. But when that's done, and when the election's over... Win, lose or draw. Get involved and do something. Go and join an ALP or join the Greens or join the Communist Party or go and join a socially progressive party, but do something. Get involved. Go to a union meeting. Go to a rally. Go to a handout. Go and see your local member and ask them why they didn't go and action that thing they promised. Keep the foot on the throat, and that's part of what we do. It's not just looking to change the election, but continuing the movement. Get involved with the sports group. Get them involved. Have a conversation with your mate and drag someone along with you. This isn't about just... Uh, campaigning for Saturday. This is about campaigning into the future. It starts with voting the right way. It starts with getting out and supporting. As Michelle said, we've got CFWMEU candidates in the field. That's for a reason. That's so we've got a voice down there in Canberra. That's so our agenda continue to be pushed. But we've got to make sure we push our elected leaders, whether it's in the politics or the trade union movement or anywhere else. Hold people to account. And that comes from the rank and file standing up and doing their bit. So if anything, what to answer the question, Shane, get involved. Start paying attention to what's going on in society and start finding the high watermark of politics because currently the Morrison Liberal government just isn't it. Paul Garrett, Michelle Myers, thanks for coming on Radio Stingray. It's been a super interesting discussion. Thank thanks you. for having us. You've been listening to Radio Stingray, the podcast of the Sydney branch of the MUA. If you like it, subscribe to it and share it with your mates. And as we always say, if you can see water, join the MUA. tuned in to Radio Stingray. Radio Stingray podcast was brought to you by McNally Jones Staff Lawyers, assisting MUA members and their families for 40 years. Phone 9233 4744 or visit mcnally.com.au and get McNally's on your side.